Allendale Market Talk. This week, I'm being joined by a very special guest, a sister of our own Lindsay Such, Lauren Such, who is a weather officer for the na- uh, for the Air Force and works a lot with weather and different thesis on what it can really be doing to impact the world as a whole. So thank you for joining me here today. Of course. And the very first one, you were talking about a little bit before we got going, uh, is the difference between weather and climate, can you elaborate on that? Because usually we keep those pretty synonymous. Right. So there's a pretty stark difference between weather and climate. Climate is uh, generally affects when people are talking about weather, they're talking about local weather, um, whereas climate's like the globe, right? So mm-hmm. um, weather forecasting is accurate, accurate up until about a week to two weeks out. Two weeks is really gets um it's hard to forecast two weeks out but really really like pretty good we have it pretty down to science about five to five days to a week whereas climate and climate forecasting um we generally understand how the climate works we've measured it measured it in the past um works on different parameters on the modeling so when we forecast the climate it's um way more accurate further out so weather is more accurate closer up and then climate is actually accurate further out that we go um, so we can predict the climate like all the way up to a year out, whereas weather we can only predict about five days to a week. Um, and then for climate or climate modeling, you use global physics, so uh, different parameters on ocean currents and different atmospheric parameters to go into like a climate model, whereas weather models um, use more local parameters. So just the way that the data affects the model is very, very different. Um, and weather changes a lot quicker <laughs> than yeah. the climate, mm-hmm. and the climate's normally more consistent. So um, while the physics that goes into the climate modeling is like a lot different than weather, it can be a little bit more accurate when you're looking out since climate doesn't change too much. And things like El Nino and La Nina do fluctuate, but generally um, climate's pretty consistent. So it's like, if I were to just really simplify it, Climate's more of the forest, where weather's more of the individual trees and trying to... Trying to... Yeah, yeah. And that way, to, like, look at that, you would look at different things. So maybe um, just uh, deciphering um, a tree versus a forest, the way that you look at it would be different. So that's what the models do, or try to do. Well, I can tell you what, it's... uh, from what you said, it only makes me more confused when I'm looking at weather maps. Because I absolutely <laughs> hate weather trading. Yeah. That stuff will change so often and so dramatically, and mm-hmm. it is just very confusing. But when you're looking at the more climate side of things, and you're talking about these more global physics, um, the weather temp- or the water temperature and how that moves in, is there a basically hierarchy of things you're looking at from say, I'm going to first look at the general currents to uh, last, I'm going to look at maybe the, um, gosh, Drew Learning gives us so much words that I just yeah. can't decipher. <laughs> yeah. uh, is there is there something that's the first thing you always take a peek at when you're looking at more of those longer term climate models? So both climate and weather, would you kind of would forecast the same way. It's just one model versus um, certain observations and then another model versus another observations. So when someone's really, really good at weather forecasting, um, they're not normally, that doesn't mean that they're like super good at climate forecasting and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
to break it down a little bit would just be um, when you have a model, um, you have a lot of different models. There's a lot of different climate models. Same thing with weather. And you compare that against current observations. Um, so some models are better than others, depending on if you're looking at precip or temperature. So you kind of got to take all that, those models into account. And then you can look at um, which models lining up best with current observations and then what the limitation of that model is, taking that to account. And then maybe this other model over here um, forecasts this area a little bit better mm -hmm. to current observations. And then that's how people normally piece together what um, they're going to put out for the reports mm -hmm. um, that you guys look at. So there's a lot of different parameters, um, but mainly it comes down to like model accuracy, what model that you're looking at, the limitations of the model, and then what current observations are showing. And then they'll put together a report. So with farming, we get a lot of sayings that have been passed down. And things along those lines of when we see a first full moon or when hmm, uh, I can't remember some of them. So w what kind of weight would you put behind like the moon phases when it comes to weathering? Does, oh. Is that much of a weight when it comes to it? Interesting. I probably, I personally have never heard that. Um, I do come from like an academic background. So they probably, there's probably like little tricks that um, farmers have that's, like in the farmer almanac and stuff like that, that's doesn't to say like that's not valid. Um, just from what I've learned, I've not heard anything about the the moon phases mm -hmm. on how that actually impacts um, like farming specifically, but just planetary science, like the way that the Earth the tilts and the spin and th that happens just naturally, um, yeah. and the way that the moon is oriented in the sky, mm -hmm. um, that might come from the fact that like. If it's over here, that just might mean we're in a different season or a different month, and that normally lines up with something. But yeah. another good one is uh, during like a drought. If you look up and you see a plane with a tail being developed behind it, that says that there's more uh, moisture in the upper atmosphere, and you should expect to rain soon. Oh, what kind of weight do you have there? Is that also a new thing? That would also probably be like someone discerning like one phenomenon and meaning something else. So it's for generally for weather and climate, um, taking one thing and then saying like, that's, that means uh, it's gonna rain, mm -hmm. um, is probably not the best way to forecast. It, little tricks like that is helpful. Um, just like how people navigated from like one part of the world to another part, they looked at the stars and the clouds and, um, but it's not a perfect science, but if you're looking at, um, I think what is that a con contrail of like a yeah um, yeah the trail behind the plane is it when it's in, yeah uh, con chem I don't know it's uh, so if anything condensation trail trail con yeah. yeah that makes sense <laughs> if anything condenses it that does mean that it's there's moisture in that mm -hmm. in the um, upper atmosphere but because um, as the temperature and the dew point get together that makes a cloud but uh doesn't really mean anything of what's to come next except for the fact that at that current location there's moisture awesome so. <laughs> good to know yeah um so you have a pretty interesting thesis on what climate can do for the department of defense can you elaborate a little bit about what that entails to the most of what you can elaborate on yeah so um with me being in the air force um these are like pretty much my own um um, opinions and doesn't reflect anything on the actual military, but um, 
I ended up choosing a, I think a pretty interesting topic. I thought it was interesting. That's why you choose thesis yeah. topics. But um, I got my master's at uh, JHU, um, Energy Policy and Climate. And one of the more interesting topics that um, I originally found out in early on in my thesis was um, how climate change um, impacted Syria. Mm-hmm. And um, if anybody follows like politics and like kind of the Department of Defense, so we have a, a role in the Syrian conflict over the past like 10 years, um, the United States military has. Mm-hmm. So um, I just thought it was interesting, something that like I focus on, which is weather and climate um, and how that impacted like my actual job um, as a weather officer. So um, I wanted to dive that dive into that a little bit more. And so we saw it in Syria. There's um, many, many reports and a lot of people way smarter than me that has like researched um, very, very specific things with that um, with that topic. So if that happened in the past and um, people, IPCC is saying we're going to have like still have another degree or two degrees warming in the next like 100 to 200 years. What is that going to mean for the future? Right. Mm-hmm. And what is the Department of Defense um, looking at and what are they doing for it? Um, and I just pretty much took 17 documents, very well-researched documents, um, did document analysis with a reflective thematic analysis approach, and looked into um, what the Department of Defense is currently doing about um, climate security, climate change, um, and more, not so much on the energy side, which is a completely different realm, mm-hmm. um, but just are they looking at climate models projected in the future, incorporating climate climate change from an intelligence perspective and seeing potentially what kind of like hotspots or instability areas might come in the future. Um, and yes, there there's many, many reports on um, that the Department of Defense is doing just that and intelligence doing just that. Um, but it's new. It's a very mm-hmm. new topic and um, there's different levels of like classification on how much they can go into it. But for like um, the general republic or general public um there's a great report i think it's the drc oh no i forgot department of defense climate change risk that's public release and if anybody reads that um that's the direct report that just goes into like pretty much what my thesis is is like whether or not the department of defense is um looking at some of these Mm -hmm. changes and where um we might need to keep an eye on in the next like 50 to 100 years so so, with the finding of Syria and the dry, dry uh, drought that came through, what level of escalation would you say that the weather at that point led to what has transpired and the level of aggression that's Ooh, gone? That's a, so, that is a many, many layer question. <laughs> Multiple. So, when you're d- using um, direct correlation like that, whether mm-hmm. or not weather or climate leads to instability. Um, that goes into a whole different realm of like they use models for that too people use models for everything (laughs) but um that incorporates like a lot of different parameters like um poverty and um access to food and things like that um where those parameters just because it happened in like syria case study um if it happened there that does not mean it's going to happen somewhere else so um say like eastern africa um you can't kind of associate those same parameters like in Eastern Africa and say that, oh, because these things line up the same way, it's gonna, the effect is gonna be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I do know from um, Syria, I don't know the reporter, but I wrote a paper um, about it for my uh, master's, and um, there was a, a great paper out there, and I can't remember the author, but he directly related um, the climate, the drought, the 100-year drought that was happening in Syria um, to migration. Mm-hmm. And while that's not a direct correlation to conflict, those are a little bit harder to kind of discern conflict, cl- conflict from climate. Mm-hmm. Um, from climate change, but he did directly relate it to migration, um, and then those taken obviously other factors like, like um, violence, like instability, famine. Um, but what generally ended up happening is there was a drought; people moved to the city. There was bad resource management, so people either started to leave or um, other people like kind of rose up and challenged the government. So, so with what seems like a more drier bias on a more global scale you've got uh brazil that had a drier bias last two years you had australia several years yeah. ago that went through wildfires uh it seems like europe in that region is on a drier bias right now and more so just the quicker changes in um climate and a quick change to that drier bias potentially going right back to more of a wet bias i'm not too sure but with all of the factors that are saying right now with russia ukraine with the dryness with inflation um and if we do see a lower supply of food what do you think that could mean based on what you've seen from migration and things along those lines in regards to potentially ramping up the more tension that we're seeing globally? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, I feel like that's more... What could happen is probably a little bit more of like a, like a sociology question. Mm-hmm. Um, gen, like on a science, basic science level, if there's more, more drought, more or more like um, precip it just changes your food pattern it's harder to manage the food and as you guys probably know this company um, any any effect like that is gonna um, cause people like stirring a little bit mm-hmm. um, globally like nation by nation um, I think any change to the climate is gonna impact like political relations mm-hmm. um, to what degree that is it's probably like out of my like <laughs> like level of understanding um, on like international politics and stuff like that, but um, I do think if it were to change, and um, we've seen it in the past of just climate changing and weather, more extreme weather like kind of cause like a lot of it, it causes issues in a country, mm-hmm. and then they need to kind of um, reach out, and that entire realm might get a little bit more interesting in the next hundred years if we do continue to see. Um, what IPCC is putting out, and that's a, a rise in like different types of climate, mm-hmm. um, and then managing that—that's going to be really, really difficult. Like you're f- just managing food and water, and um, adapting your current system into something that can manage those types of effects. Um, there's a lot on the plate, I think, mm-hmm. for a lot of these countries. And um, if you don't have the help of international Country, countries and don't have the money yourself like people are going to be looking for help for sure mm-hmm. so while you're looking at these various climate models what are some of the more at-risk areas you see going forward at-risk areas um so it depends on what 
what at risk like so like uh what do you see as potentially holding a longer drier bias and hotter bias that may impact say different types of food different types of food um yeah global models i'm not too too sure um pretty much i've just looked at like the locations that i've lived in so that's right now it's south korea like Mm -hmm. um and then qatar um Mm -hmm. so both both areas kind of generally like just show a drier a drier trend um I know China released a couple reports that um, specific areas of their country they're showing a drier trend, mm-hmm. um, but actual like specific locations, I'm not too too sure about. Yeah. Okay. What what was China's report uh, saying about their drier trend? Was it most of China or was it very specific? No, it's specific. Can't yeah. remember like top of my head. I read it towards like maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but pretty much every nation is going to see. Maybe not a general, so if take the United States, um, the whole United States won't really see a drier trend. All of Europe won't see a drier trend. Um, but say, like, the United States will see a drier trend maybe in the Southwest, and then Europe might see a drier trend in this location. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those, like, change as the models kind of, kind of change and um, how other things, like, affect it, like El Nino, La Nina, um, other, like, patterns like that. Um, but I know... Um, pretty much every every big country is like putting out reports of what specific areas uh, that are going to see a little bit more dry trend based off the models. Mm-hmm. And is that something that would persist for multiple years, or is it something that can change year to year, whether it's dry or? Oh, that can change. Okay. Yeah. So when someone says like we're going to be in a drought the next two years, um, that doesn't mean like we're going to be in a drought in the next fifty years. Or if someone says we're going to be in a drought in the next fifty years, that doesn't mean like anything really really um too much right now um and then the climate and weather as you guys probably know is, is very it's very difficult um it, it's a difficult science there's so many factors that go into it it's a global effect there's radiation there's surface level absorbing there's ocean currents there's winds and um as we get more better better at modeling, and we've come a long way in the past like two years, mm-hmm. or 20 years, not two years, um, that's gonna change. So the reports that you see now might have like an area saying like South China or um, the North part of the Middle East or the Western side of Europe. And then as our models get better, we add more parameters and fine tune it based off the observations that we're seeing, where that's gonna change for sure. So we can, but we're doing our best um, to try to predict that now with the tools that we have. Perfect. So when my yeah. clients tell me that I'm crazy for being a commodity broker and trading, I can say, yeah, I am crazy, but have you seen the weather people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. That's a fair assumption. So We yeah, get a lot of jokes. So. Yeah. Same here. So it's, uh, as we can tell, it's a lot and it's a ton to put in and a ton of data points as anyone would expect. I mean, you've got so many different areas, so many different regions. So good for you for trying to decipher that because i know i would be beating my head against the wall i have said it 20 million times on the show i hate trading weather it is very it's very difficult it's and it changes so much and if you're taking reports that um people aren't like the best weather people are the people at the location like so national weather service 
forecasting for Omaha. They're in Omaha mm -hmm. forecasting for Omaha. So they get to see day to day whether, oh, this guy's a little bit less this, so I'm gonna maybe change my forecast a little bit. But if, for climate modeling and the stuff that um, you guys normally get and taking that in and associating like a ridge with this meaning this and this meaning this, and, and it's not a perfect science. So um, I would suggest or like encourage people to get into like weather and climate modeling and kind of educate. Um, especially in your guys' job, for sure. And it's not too, too hard, but um, you can take those like reports and kind of um, discern that for yourself and your own information. So yeah, it's a lot, <laughs> it can be a lot. <laughs> well, the main takeaway I'm uh, gonna take is the fact that you said it's difficult, so all yeah. my clients know that I, it's it is difficult. difficult. <laughs> it is difficult, <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you very uh, much for joining us this of week. Of uh, yeah. really, touching base on all this weather and especially as we get in our conference next week we're going to be talking about weather we'll be talking about the fundamentals the technicals uh interest rate side of things so hopefully this helps shine a little bit more light especially as we get into those weather what all these different things mean and if you guys have not signed up yet please give us a call 800-262-7538 that's 800-2-MARKET Lindsay will help you out get you all signed up uh, but for this week for Allendale Market Talk, this is Mike Lung being joined by Lauren Such. Thank you. Thank you.